Good morning, everyone. My name is Graceland, and I'm the family pastor here at Access. We're going through a sermon series called Waves and Anchors, where we are revisiting our vision, mission, and values. It's good practice to review these from time to time, but it's especially essential to re-examine them now as we are in a state of limbo and instability in the world. Just this past week, school districts in Houston and the Houston area rolled out their plans for the fall. And anxiety was high as I read message boards, had conversations at home, and texted with friends. Values are thoughtfully crafted for times like these so that we can stay calm and hold true to who we are and what we believe. So we aren't being tossed back and forth by rough waters. Values drive our decision-making and how we approach worship, sermons, kids' ministry, youth ministry, life groups, and much more. In this unusual season, we are discussing selected values for the next few weeks as we explore what it means to be the church, all while experiencing some real limitations and restrictions. This morning, I'll unpack one of our value statements and examine a passage from Luke chapter 5. Lastly, I'll offer some suggestions for how we can respond to God's word and live out our value statement during this season. Will you pray with me? God, I ask that your spirit would meet us here. Wherever we are, I invite you into these spaces. And I pray, Lord, that you would be our vision, you would be our guide, that we would internalize and process these values so that we can live them out in the way that you've intended for us to show up in this world. We give this time to you. It's yours, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's take a look at our value. We will clear the path for others to Jesus. We use accessible language, creative environments, artistic expressions, and new practices to help people see past misconceptions of God and connect with him. We are inspired by friends who would remove a roof and carry someone to Jesus. So what does it mean to clear the path for others to Jesus? Simply put, it's removing potential barriers that keep people from connecting with Jesus. For example, some people might feel less comfortable entering a traditional church building. It can feel stuffy, restrictive, because they feel like they can't be fully themselves, or they need to be formal or proper or wear their Sunday best. Maybe they have trauma from former church experiences where they felt judged or shamed for their behavior that didn't fit into the culture of the church. For some others, just driving by a traditional looking church can be a turnoff as we continue to live in a post-Christian society. 
And that's one of the reasons why we gather and worship in a warehouse. We chose this Stebbins space because it was literally a blank slate. That gave us a lot of freedom to create and innovate where we could customize it and make it our own to fit our needs and have the look and feel that is an expression of who we are. We've thought through the details down to the scripture verse that people see when they first walk into the restroom. Even the restrooms are sacred spaces for people to connect with Jesus. And from personal experience and what I've heard from others, the women's restroom has been a quiet space for some sacred conversations to take place. And that's all reflective of the value statement that guides us. Clearing the path for others also includes using accessible language. We intentionally avoid using insider language, which is why we are called access. It's clear and easy to understand for those on the outside. It might even spark curiosity. What's, what's access about? For kids and youth ministries, we just call them access kids and access youth. So people who are new or newer can easily know what they're signing up for early on as they, and, and whom the ministry is specifically for. Language can be a powerful gateway for people to enter early on in their spiritual journey. As they ask themselves, is this a God I can connect with and know personally? Or is this a God who is distant and inaccessible? Many of you know we have four-year-old twin boys and for the first couple of years of their life, they didn't speak very many words. It was a very new experience for me because my older boys spoke very early, um, early on in their lives. But I learned this is a very common thing for twins because they already have another person who can understand them without using real words. And so their need to communicate to the outside world, us, is much lower. This is commonly called twin language. It's easy to look at them and, as an outsider and wonder, where do I fit into their world? The truth is it's difficult because they have a unique connection and bond through their own language, in their case, verbal and nonverbal. Sometimes in our Christian circles, we do the same thing without realizing it. We might use certain words like conviction or edify or theological terms like justification, atonement, or sanctification without realizing that we might be unintentionally marginalizing those who are newer in their spiritual journey. It's not like we never use these words, but we don't assume that people will just know what we're saying. And so as much as we can, we try to use accessible language, language that doesn't require a whole lot of in-depth explanation so that people on the outside can easily step into our world with Jesus. As we clear the path to Jesus, we also want to help people see misconceptions of God 
through new practices. We highly encourage spiritual direction at Access. I meet with a spiritual director once a month on Zoom, and she has been a spiritual companion for me to help me be more attuned and more attentive to the spirit's movement around me in that present moment. As I practice this spiritual exercise with a companion, I am deepening and strengthening my relationship with God so I can do it with more ease on my own and I can facilitate that process with others as well. We also offer formation groups each year that I was a part of for a couple of years before joining staff. Last week, Pastor John mentioned the passage from Mark chapter three, verses 13 through 14, where he says, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12, designating them apostles that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. All Jesus wanted was to be with his disciples. All Jesus wants is to be with you and with me. And this truth was so hard for me to trust, and it still is. In fact, very often as I show up in different spaces, I feel the need to prove my worth in order in order to feel worthy of love. And that stems from childhood experiences and former ministry contexts. But being mindful of the struggle, I pray all the time. I pray regularly, Jesus loves me as I am and I am enough. Placing my trust in this truth, it helps me to connect with Jesus because I can feel secure in his love for me. At Access, we create spaces like formation groups for people to identify these untruths so that we can unlearn what's been told to us that's held us back in our spiritual journeys and be changed and transformed as we connect with Jesus in a communal setting with a mutually agreed upon understanding of how we are to interact together. These new practices are biblically grounded and take us to new places in our spiritual journey that perhaps we thought we had figured out. If you are ready for more and you're ready to do some soul searching in a communal setting, sign up for a group in the fall. Now let's get into our passage this morning. It was pretty straightforward to pick out a passage because it's part of our value statement. We are going to read from Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 26. One day Jesus was teaching, and the Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. 
Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Immediately, he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. This extraordinary event took place in Capernaum and by this time, the news of Jesus's ability to heal people had spread so far that crowds of people surrounded the house where he was teaching. Some of the people in the house with him who were listening in were Pharisees and teachers of the law. Now the name Pharisees is a transcription of an Aramaic term meaning separated ones. Aramaic was the language that Jesus spoke at the time. Back then, Pharisees gave exact laws that people needed to follow in order to have a secure position with God, which the Pharisees believed that they had. And anyone who went outside of those parameters of the law were seen as unclean and outcasts in their society. When this extraordinary event happened where these friends of the paralytic man pulled out all the stops and went to extraordinary lengths to get their friend to Jesus to be healed. What did Jesus say first? Friend, your sins are forgiven. In that moment, I can just hear the gasps in the room. The Pharisees must have been so shocked to hear what Jesus had just said that they were still processing it in their heads. Who is this man who speaks such blasphemy? Only God can forgive sins. And before any of them could speak, Jesus knew what was in their hearts and responded, which do you think is easier to forgive sins or to say, get up and walk. Why didn't Jesus say the easier response first? When Jesus saw their faith, he wanted to heal the man inside and out. 
he knew that this paralytic needed first and foremost inner healing before he could receive physical healing. It would have been much easier for God to just say, get up and walk and be healed. But Jesus wanted to confront this man for his sins and his need for a savior and a rescuer. When this man was healed inside and out, he went home praising Jesus as a free man, as one who has experienced God's grace. Our church has been a refuge for many of us as a place filled with an abundance of God's grace. Several of us came to access feeling burned out from previous churches. I was one of those people where I was healing from a traumatic ministry experience before moving to Houston. And access was a gift to me because I had freedom to show up imperfectly and still be accepted. At access, we know how to clear safe paths for people to walk on, especially for some of us who have had some fundamentalist upbringings. And these clear paths have been healing and it's given us a lot of spaciousness to swim and move freely in our spiritual journeys. I think that's one of the unique aspects of our church. But I think it's also given us a false sense of freedom to live out of our false or pseudo self. The question I want to pose today is, have we at Access cleared the path so much that we've cleared out the things that God intended us to, that God intended for us to experience in our lives with him? There's this relatively new phenomenon called lawnmower parenting. Up north, I think they call it snowplow parenting. Here's what it looks like. These parents cannot bear the thought of their children experiencing any type of discomfort, pain, or disappointment. As a result, they do everything in their power to protect their kids from struggle or adversity. Growing up, I moved several times, went to eight different schools from kindergarten to eighth grade, and it was rough, really, really rough. I have four kids of my own now, and man, I love them so much. And like many other parents, I just want them to be happy. I truly do. But sometimes our desire for our children to be happy and to live a carefree life keeps them from being able to make wise decisions when they're adults, solve regular life problems and manage life's challenges that we as parents just don't always have control over. Research has shown that one of the effects of lawnmower parenting is an adult child who lacks grit and resilience because they are so dependent on their parents removing obstacles and adversity that just comes with life. 
ultimately what it does is it keeps them from growing into mature adults who can be resourceful when they're suffering and when there's heartache. Perhaps we've inadvertently brought this lawnmower culture into our discipleship and formation culture, where we've cleared the path so much with good intentions that we've missed out on what it truly means to follow Jesus. I don't think the paralytic's friends were expecting Jesus to say, your sins are forgiven. When they went through the trouble of carrying uh, their friend up on the roof, carving out a hole and lowering their friend down to Jesus, they were thinking, let's get our friend healed and let's go. But everyone learned that day the extent of Jesus's power and authority to heal. By displaying his power and authority to forgive sins, Jesus was saying, I can offer you so much more than physical healing. The paralytic didn't even ask for his sins to be forgiven, yet by his grace, Jesus forgave him for everyone to see because he was laying out a vision of what it looks like to live life with God. In verse 17, Luke states, the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. He wasn't just talking about physical healing. Jesus was already physically healing many people before this. Jesus came to heal the spiritually sick. And when he forgave the man first, he displayed the extent of his authority when he told the man to get up and walk. Because Pharisees believed at the time that those who were sinners could not be physically healed. Clearing the path for others to Jesus means helping others to follow him. And they're not relationships that are always filled with sunshine and rainbows. It means speaking the truth in love to each other. So we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. That's what it looks like to be a faithful friend who will remove the roof for another and carry someone to Jesus. It's risky, it's unconventional. And when those friends were carrying the paralytic on a mat up to the roof and lowering him down, all the crowds were probably thinking, what on earth? Are you crazy? You're gonna get hurt. You look like a fool. Who does this? But their faith resulted in widespread praise and glory to God. Verse 26 says, everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. And that's the heart of why we are the church. We want to clear the path 
so that we can connect people to Jesus. We want to remove the roof and all the barriers that keep people from knowing him and worshiping him. With social media at our fingertips, our reach to the world has almost no limits. One of the artistic expressions that I found is reflective of this particular value at Access is Amy Loring's Instagram called at Amy Life Coaching. She sees creating art as her personal response to God's love with the hope that people can see themselves in their own spiritual journey in her art. It's incredibly unique and impactful in reaching generations today through art and imagery. After all, Jesus often taught in parables using everyday life examples to illustrate a principle. During a pandemic, I think it's even more effective because God knows we are spending so much more time on social media as an alternative to face-to-face -face social connections that our soul so desperately needs. Holding this picture out as a guide, how can we as a church live out this value during a pandemic? I'd like to offer some suggestions this morning. Number one, we can drop off a meal, groceries, goodies, treats, and other necessities or just luxuries even um, to those who might physically, emotionally, and spiritually need it. These are tangible ways of giving people hope today. We had our first baby at Access Born during the pandemic not too long ago, Sarah and Jerry's son's baby Miriam. These meal trains serve at our families with newborns that are invaluable. We're helping a family get set up for success so they can focus on bonding with their baby without needing to attend to other daily needs. We're also communicating with the family that we're in this with them. We are a faith village and they're not alone. Number two. In the Black Lives Matter movement, we engage by learning what it means to be anti-racist, listening to stories of racial trauma, and educating ourselves to know how to step in and be advocates by recognizing our own privilege and stewarding it so Black brothers and sisters can receive the equality that they deserve. Stepping in and being actively engaged in the BLM movement is very much like carrying a friend to the roof and lowering them down to meet Jesus. And third, for those of you who may not know, we have an active team called the MHRT, short for the Medical and Hygiene Response Team. This team has been carefully preparing the plans and protocol for our in-person gatherings for months now. They are monitoring statistics, doing extensive research on protocols, chemicals for cleaning, floor plan for how to move people in and out safely, the people power needed to carry it out, 
etc., etc. They are thinking through every minute but vital detail for the safety of our people. When they drafted the details of their protocol and plans and brought it to our lead team, and as we started to comb through it, I was holding my breath so frequently as I read and we discussed that I had to remind myself to breathe deeply. Thinking through these details, it, it paralyzes me. In fact, every part of me wanted to just close my laptop and leave the meeting. By the way, the lead team members don't know I was feeling this way. I was just sort of holding it all in. Being in the meeting and hearing all that needed to be done was stressing me out. But these protocols are so essential so that our church can safely be united and together again. This team has been caring people like me, people like us, so that we can have a meaningful experience to connect with Jesus as a body of Christ. And lastly, when we resume in-person gatherings, I want to invite you to serve. If you're not already serving online in some way, I want to invite you to serve and dive right in. It's going to be risky, but we'll get there because we'll be doing it together. And we'll be doing it with the faith that by opening up our doors, we're clearing the path for others to meet Jesus. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we long to know you. And we long for others to know you. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us the drive, the strength, the innovation, the creativity to clear the path so that people can meet you. And I pray, Lord, that you give us all that we need to be able to do this freely, to be able to do this as those who are forgiven, as those who are redeemed, those who are rescued. Thank you, Lord, that you have forgiven us. And thank you, Lord, for being our God. We pray that um, you help us to be a church, a church that lives out this value so that others can connect with you. We love you, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. And now let's say our sending prayer. Loving God through all our years, let the church be a community where we learn about love and practice it, where we envision peace and work to build it. 
where we meet partners in faith who wish to abandon everything that cheapens our discipleship, where we discover gifts and offer them. May your spirit guide us toward joy and generosity. In Jesus' name, in the way of Jesus. Amen.